Hey there, folks. It is Monday, May 16th, 2011. This is episode 8B of the Bad Dog Book Club. I'm Skip Ruddertail, your otter editor, and with me, as always, is... Neptune says the car-hating cat. Wow, see, we've, we've evolved into hating cars now. Well, it's kind of a bitter relationship, but I feel like I'm entitled to it because they're going to run me over and kill me. As opposed to just driving off a cliff like you normally do, right? Well, yeah, but I got over... That never killed me, but I mean, because like, you're inside the car, you're protected. That's exactly the thing. I'm outside the car now. I'm vulnerable. I'm Wouldn't fleshy. your car usually, like, explode just spontaneously as it was going over the cliff, though? I, I had airbags. Oh, okay. <laughs> that all makes sense. And back then, those were expensive. Yes, yes. Uh, so, today's story is... From you know, Roar 3, actually. Yes, from Roar 3, which comes to you from... Bad Dog Books. Indeed. Yes. Applaud for us. Roar is our... Yeah, there you go. Uh, Although I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all Alex Vance. No, it actually oh, no, wasn't it? Alex Vance. No, who was it's, it? I mean, Alex Vance is the owner, but no, this, right. this is uh, Buck Turner is the editor of the Roar Anthology. And I edit, along with Graveyard Greg Fang, which is our uh, adults-only anthology. Full disclosure for our future pack. Yes. And uh, Roar is our, you know, more general audiences. Um, and that's not to say it's all, like, nice, but there's there's nothing explicitly sexual in there. So we, you know, maybe R-rated stories or violent stories sometimes, but no, uh, Because that's the distinction we have to draw. That is, because we live in America. It's okay because to shoot we're somebody. It's okay to shoot somebody, but it, it's only sometimes okay don't blame America for furry standards. Okay. All right. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that. That's my belief. All right, so, yes. Roar Volume 3 is available right now from Fur Planet and from Rabbit Valley, among others. So, do pick up a copy. Actually, I will be um, up at FAU uh, next weekend. So, mm-hmm. if, if any of you are any listeners are going to be there, please stop by and say hi. I'll be at the Rabbit Valley table in the dealer's room most of the time at the con, and I'm happy to say hi to anybody, and if you have a star you want to come by and show me, bring it by. Yeah. Uh, be social, be chatty, that's what we want. Exactly, exactly. I did have Fun actually a couple people have IM'd me, actually, now, since last time. I said, you know, you can you can talk to us, we're okay, we won't bite. Mm-hmm. So that's been cool. Our pathetic begging is showing some fruits. Yes. So this week's story is Blackbird Singing in the Dead of Night by John Denich Roby, uh, which, which Toons has just reminded me of right now. Uh, and and I, my depths, my mind. I really enjoyed it. Um, Buck picked it out for us, so this was uh, one that neither of us had read first this time, but we trust his impeccable judgment. Mm-hmm. Figured if it was good enough for it, it'd be good enough for us. Uh, indeed. Indeed. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, but it was a fun kind of a classic take on a on a on a old genre and it reminded Skip of a lot of old movies he was talk he was telling me uh Yes. The well, Big Sleep, I think he, I, he's, yeah. he Skip is making me watch all these movies like he's giving me homework like Tunes you have to watch the Star Wars trilogies. Tunes you have to watch Casablanca. Tunes you have to watch The Big Sleep. Yeah, well, so basically every time we record at my house, we I go come down, pick him up, because mm-hmm. he doesn't drive, you know. So I, I drive down, get him, come back. Very nice. We record the podcast, we eat a good dinner, you know, we feed him. 
gotta fatten no, him up. No, I a need, bit. I need it. And, and, uh, and then, then we watch a movie that is part of American society, and is, as the Library of Congress today has been deemed culturally mm-hmm. um, important. He's trying to assimilate me. Yes, exactly. So the one of the ones I said now we've got to watch. We've got a couple. We've got to watch the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep, and they're two of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, said both starring should... Humphrey Bogart, but their their film noir, which was a genre, and there's some debates about when exactly it emerges, um, and and whether it ended at a certain time or not. Uh, but emerged, you know, in a lot of ways, the Maltese Falcon may be one of the favorite first ones, 1941, and it was kind of this shot um, in a very kind of different style. Uh, so rather than well at stages and everything, often dramatic lighting and gritty situations, because we went from kind of the, the Gilded Age Hollywood of, you know, glamour to, you know, you'd shoot a scene down on the wharf or something, you know, yeah. and you know, skullduggery and murders. And uh, one of the hallmarks of film, and a lot of people say one of the hallmarks of classic film noir is you can't have a happy ending. You know, there can be some good things, but it can't be a completely happy ending no. in film noir. It's, it has to be complicated. Um, and this, you know, was a very film noirish story, or noirish story, uh, in that, you know, we have our character here, our protagonist, who is uh, Stretch Ferret. Yes. And who, who I feel visualizes, imagines himself as you know, Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade. You know, he's the hard-boiled, you know, private detective. Private dick, right? He's full of himself, is what yes. you mean, right? He is, he is. He's got an ego the size of what he thinks his donger is, is what I presume. Yeah. <laughs> he is. This, he, and just one of the lines that stuck out to me is, oh, I hate it when I'm right. Yeah. He feels so privileged in his superiority he, he that he can find it a right. burden. Yeah. Oh, just when I'm... That's one of the things I liked about the characters. He loves it when he's right, and he's clearly not as great a guy in some ways as he visualizes himself and and witness, you know, his all his attempts to, you know, chat up a doll, you know, using this very kind of 40s lingo, um, which I thought was interesting because, and I think that kind of gives an idea of his perspective because the world we're in is one with computers and plexiglass, you know, bank doors and things yes. like that. But he's sitting there, he's actually saying, I'm going to chat up this doll. You know, so he's he's clearly in his head. He's, you know, playing this film noir detective. Um, and to affect that, in some ways, I think the people around him realize and, and take him less seriously because of that. You know, the fact that they're all, all the dolls, quote-unquote, are mm-hmm. completely oblivious, not even immune, but oblivious to his attempts to chat them up, it seems like. Yeah, it's like, what does uh, Squash say at one point? Stretch, why does every attempt to talk to women end with them either screaming or crying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is, as big as his ego is, he just doesn't seem very successful at women. So he's, he's a bit of a comic character, and I thought that was that was an interesting twist on kind of the classic film noir, is that there are definitely jokes in him, but They're they supposed have a to get character the woman, right? who's more comic... Uh, well, no, not always. Like, for instance, um, in the Maltese Falcon, there's Humphrey Bogart, and who's Sam Spade, and there's uh, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, mm-hmm. or at least that's one of her pseudonyms, uh, and they fall in love 
But he realizes at the end, and he confronts her at the very end of the story after the other bad guys have gone off looking for the Falcon, and she's going to mm-hmm. stay with him. And he says, but you killed my partner. And she did. And he, he calls, get over and it? He I mean, calls the police, and they take her away. Oh, that's awful. So no, but that's 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 film noir for you, and that's that's a great ending. That's a great ending. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Could it have just ended with I don't know them being happy together? No. no. Oh, See, I feel like we're on opposite point. Usually, that's the kind of thing I think I'd argue. Like, couldn't they just be happy together? And you'd be like, no, no, we've got to complicate it. Yeah, but no, but yeah, but now it's like, it's much more complicated this way. If he, gets, if he starts getting, you know, kind of complacent and, you know, overfed and always losing part of his drive, and now he's not quite as good a private investigator as he was before. It's yeah. weird, but like, that's what happens when you're such, when you're built up as such a perfect, egocentric character. I don't know. I don't know. I think it, you know, if he conceptualizes himself in that way, it probably does allow him to do better, you know, because he believes in himself. Uh, but it also kind of makes him a comic figure, too. So, uh, no, I, I really liked it. But, yeah, the humorous tone, I think, was something that was interesting. And you likened it to another movie. Well, when you, the, the humorous tone is probably uh, enforced by the almost... To me, it seems comedic when it's rendered in this way, when the anthro characters are more anthro than morphic. Mm-hmm. So to speak, because it seems as if these characters exist in their real kind of physical states with relative sizes. At least when I talk about physical altercations and comparisons, like an an otter in in the animal kingdom in real life, you wouldn't think of being as very buff. But I think these are all kind of rodent types that are interacting in this. Right, right. And he's world. a sea otter. He is. So, so they well, those are the buff. largest otters, and they're like they they're pretty heavy. I think they can Feed be like hundred pounds or more. Oh wow, really? male sea otters, yeah. Gosh darn. Yeah. So, kick your ass. But anyway, it, it, I think I always uh, put that in more of the, I don't want to say comedic realm, but certainly mm-hmm. the much more lighthearted, which helps get the sort of it's, humorous... It's, it's probably, you know, poking more at our own human foibles, I suppose. Right? By dehumanizing it but to that much more degree? No, by humanizing. You said more anthro than morphic. I mean, no, because they're... Um... Oh, oh should I watch which one is anthro? <laughs> I got it anthro, anthro is people. Anthro Hence, is I'm people. an anthropologist. Oh, damn, 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 I got it backwards. Yeah, yeah. I was morphic thinking. Be, uh, no, but well, because of the story, is, no. Morphic is shape, so it's human shape. So it would actually be, oh, you'd be saying they're more zoo than anthro. Yeah, they're more zoo than, than anthro is what I mean. Okay. I'm sorry, but if we look at the story, that's, cause it, they're all they're living in trees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the Fantastic Mr. Fox. It kind of uh-huh. had that comparison uh-huh. to me. And they had like the last name, the, the naming convention. Well, part of the humor, of course, some that was, you know, somebody, you know, a fox or, you know, living in a tree or in a burrow, you know, who still has an attorney and, you know, an accountant and all these things. So, <laughs> kind of emphasizing both aspects of their lives to humorous effect. Indeed. Maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe they're. Yeah. It puts you in a much more lighthearted mood. Like you know, from the beginning of the story, I'm not really expecting a very serious mm-hmm. tale. Cause it, it got more serious than I expected, honestly. To a degree, enough to you know at least satisfy the suspense that had been built up and the uh, conflict that had been established. But for the most part, it's mostly a vehicle for humor. It seems, mm-hmm. even though it does touch on a bit more 
of the darker aspects, those are still even then tinged with humor. It never well, I mean, really gets truly dark or truly black. Committing suicide. And yeah, there's but blackmail. Okay. And there's murder. That's pretty. I mean, these that's very dark you know, artist, That's pretty dark. These are dark subjects, but you can still make humor of them. I mean, I, I do it yeah, every yeah. every day. It's just how some people naturally black approach. Comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's just how some people naturally approach these difficult subjects. Is it's you, you, there's nothing you can do but try to rob them of some of their power by, uh, you know making them a bit more lighthearted or like a joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I like about this story was it takes this kind of like, I, I'm, I've been at first when I was expecting something more like the procedural shows okay. that you watch, like that are rerunning on TNT all the goddamn time. Like, uh, what are they? Criminal Minds, Law and Order. Yeah. I think they get CSI. I was a too, big and... CSI fan. Uh, less so now that Grissom isn't on there because he was the man. Well, what what passes for humor in in these shows is when the perp gets humiliated on the way being dragged into the, into the police station. Like that's mm-hmm. the humor. But in this, like, mm-hmm. it's much more like self effacing on the on the part of the protagonist. I mm-hmm. think in uh, in a lot more of the the crime and mystery things, you mm-hmm. wouldn't want to see so much uh, being taken out at the expense of the the main character. Right. Right. But it's it's all in good humor. That's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. No, I I, I agree and. Um, no, it, it, there are several points that got me laugh. I, I like uh, Squash. I think is is. I mean, I let me just say, one of my favorite characters. And you know, he you is al- an otter. He you is always an otter. like the otters. Well, I always like the raccoons. I like the raccoons. Awesome. I'm not a raccoon though. There's a raccoon in here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can like raccoons. You can yeah, have well, a thing for raccoons. As like, it is, a thing for bunnies. Rac- well, the raccoon is my is my character because Toons is the cat is who I am. Right, right. And then Toons is the cat. Has you have an RP. You have a character. character. You RP. Yeah. That yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. not. Well, you know what I mean. Anyway. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I mean I. I like the raccoon the character. She was very tough. She was, and she was a tough female character. It's a good minor character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A minor character. She got developed very quickly. I she thought. She did. Uh, just because, and, I, and it helps when she is thrown into the action she was from the very first moment you see her. Yeah, she was very practical and sensible, and me probably more so than anybody else in the story. And it helps that she revealed, like, half the, you know, yeah, exposition she, she, in the story. Yes, she was very key, definitely. Um, no, I mean, I like Squash. It, one of the things is I like Squash is because it made me laugh. Because I think he's actually probably fairly intelligent. And we get little hints periodically. Yeah. But Stretch... He knew, he knew the history of the name of Cassandra. Stretch, in his world, probably can't... You know, his world probably doesn't work if his partner is as intelligent or even more intelligent than he is. Mm-hmm. You know, so for his world to work, he has to be the smart one. So he's the smart one. I don't right. know, that's kind of my feeling about it. No, I do think he's the, the smart one. I just think he's stretch. so dismissive, that's all. <laughs> well, and I think with Squash, you know, he probably gets written off by Stretch because he's obviously a very happy guy with very little, mm-hmm. you know, and probably it seems like things come his way more naturally, so that may be part of it, like the girl's. Um, but he's, he's very, you know, he's happy with a sandwich, he's happy going on a date, and so he gets written off as, well, he's obviously a very simple guy, because he's, you know, not unhappy and complicated. Mm-hmm. I don't know, so I like Squash. Uh, what did you think about the names? The names? I just, uh, I just think it's always kind of silly when the, the last name is the species. <laughs> and I was, what it made me wonder is, okay, because I'm always trying to keep, like, fool around with ideas like how could furry how could furry world exist like how could these things mm-hmm. play out whatever uh okay so if when you marry into uh another family if you're a woman you give up your last name right, right. uh okay so 
if your last name in fur world is derived by your species, if women marry off into other species, do they take on the last name of the species they're not? Right. So you have Miss Gian Skunk, who is actually, by the way, a raccoon. Yeah. Hmm, just so you know. But getting all her mail address to a skunk and I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Getting, Sorry, getting, it's like, like that Sci- Seinfeld episode with like Donna Chang, who like married her, but it was always talking about Chinese culture, even though she was white. You know, and you could totally take advantage of that. Like, oh yes, you know, I'm I'm Bob Skunk, and then when people meet, you're like, you're an otter. And you're like, oh, but you know, I'm in. You could always tell people, let's go to a skunk restaurant. I love skunk cuisine. You know, I was in. <laughs> Skunkopolis the uh, last year, and everybody just assumes that I'm a skunk, and I could totally use that to my advantage. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely pass for a skunk if I tried. Yes, yes. If I really needed to, just dye my fur a little. As we know from Looney Tunes, all you need to do is paint a stripe down your back, and Mm -hmm. you're a skunk. Yeah, totally works. Um, No, the name's. I mean, it reminded me of like kids' books. Yeah, you know, like and that's Fantastic one of the things Fox. that kind of right, or that's what right, exactly, Mister Fox, Mister Bad. What's that one with like Frog and Toad? What's that? Yeah, like, the one that go. they always read all the goddamn time. Don LaBelle, yeah, Frog and Toad or Friends, yes. I haven't read it. They tried to make me read that in elementary school. It was the first book I refused to read. Wow, you, you didn't want to know about their friendship. No, I think I got like ten pages into it. I was like, what on earth? And they were reading it in class, and I went to sleep. Kind of weird book, yeah. That um, wasn't weird. It was boring. Yeah. I don't know, for, for like, little kid me, reading about, like, like a frog and a toad. I feel like it's, you know, there's some kids' books that are, like, supposed to calm your kids down when they're going crazy. I feel like that's one of those. At the time I was reading... That's why I always like Roald Dahl, where it's, like, you know, the parent, like, George's Marvelous Medicine, where, like, the parents go out for the day, and he, like, ransacks the house for everything to put in. I mean, it's, like, what you don't want your kids to do. Those are the books I loved as a kid. You know, or well, wayside story, sideways stories from wayside school. Like, oh, yeah. Those are the books that are great as a kid. Like all the things you're not supposed to do, mm-hmm. and then don't calm you down. So, well, so the books I was reading, like, it was like goosebumps. Yeah. And I felt like such an idiot afterward because, like, in high school, I found <laughs> everyone was like, "Yeah, no one ever actually read those. They just traded them because it was fun." Like I was the idiot that was actually reading the dumb books. Aww. And I always get about halfway through and then skip to the last three pages, see what happens, and then oh, read the rest. Okay. So that's why I don't care about spoilers anymore. Goosebumps right. ruined it for me, so no spoilers. Well, for actually, me. actually, that's a nice segue. So very well done. Uh, because one of the things I want to talk about here was, you know, we haven't really read any kind of mystery stories it's true. until this one. We've not. And it's one of my, you know, it's a genre that I like. I'm a big uh, Sherlock Holmes fan. I like other, P.D. James. I like other things. Uh, you know, I like a lot of mystery stories. Uh, things like Foils War on TV. I love that. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of neat to get a mystery story. And it's something that, I don't know, I've always been very intimidated when it came to thinking about writing one. Why is that? Because you have to plan out the whole thing and know exactly how it gets built up and broken down. Mm-hmm. And I think normally for, or a lot of people say for a good mystery, the reader um, should at least have a chance to be able to figure out what happened. Do you think the reader the had a chance to figure along. this out? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when we got to the conclusion, mm-hmm. I felt as if I'd just been whacked with a hammer. I wouldn't have yeah. been, I wouldn't have seen it coming from 18 miles away. Yeah. Do you feel cheated because of I don't of that, feel at or? all cheated by that. It's just, oh, cool, so it's kind of a surprise ending. Great. I mean, yeah. that's, that's also good. If I were to be able to predict 
who it was, I might just feel as if I'd wasted my time actually finding out. Right. And that's one of the challenges is if if you do buy into this approach, and I think most mystery writers probably do, um, that you should at least, you know, all the data, all the information should be there for the reader to put together if they can. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's sort of like a fairness, or it seems to be, like I said, a lot of times how mysteries are done. Not always, um, but a lot of times how mysteries are done. But then, right, of course, the challenge is your detective has to be smarter than the reader. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, you have to, you know, so you have to give all the clues, but then prevent most of your readers, at least, from figuring it out right when they're halfway done and go, oh, I know who did it, you know, because yes. then then you just throw the book away. Like, who cares about the other hundred pages? Um, going back to the big sleep again. But real quick, I want to say real quick, oh, yeah. just on the topic of mystery uh, books and mm-hmm. purposely left out information, I was at mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble the other day just kind of browsing the titles, and I saw on the shelf what looked like kind of a new printing of Agatha, Agatha Christie, one of the... Um, mm-hmm figureheads of the mystery genre, right? Agatha yep. Christie. Yep. Ten, what's it called? No. Then, then, then there, there were, were none. Which and is then also, great. Have you read that? And then, no, I haven't, but then in the I corner... I did not read it until like two months ago. It is awesome. I will lend it to you. In it the corner, awesome. it says, also titled as Ten Little Indians. Also titled as... Not on the cover, though. That one was not on the cover. Okay, so but if they had to change it, if but, they had to change you know Ten Little Indians... Title? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. And I'm not going to say it. Ten little little ninjas. Only not ninjas, you know. What I want to know is at what calculus do you use to to function? At what size can it be racist on on the cover? Okay, clearly in the 72-point font title, Ten Little Indians, terrible. Okay, 12-point, no. Now, Ten Little Ninjas and 12-point also would have been not good. Couldn't have had that, but at zero. But could it have, would have like one or two-point, like in the very corner... Just so you also know, it was also once called this, just, you know, right, right. Asterisk. Like, Would that be okay? Yeah. I mean, where does this question. go? It's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. But about the big sleep? The big sleep, yeah. So <laughs> we were talking about, like, who killed it, and then there's, at one point, the chauffeur is, or there, there are several murders in the big sleep, but at one mm-hmm. point, the chauffeur is killed. And uh, the story goes uh, that Bogart, you know, who was playing, um, who was playing the Philip Marlowe, the detective, you know, was very much like our, you know, who also Stretch Ferret, I think, is modeled on here, uh, you know, calls over Howard Hawks, the director, one of the greatest directors ever, and says, you know, so who killed the butler? And Hawks mm-hmm. goes, well, I don't know. Let's ask the screenplay writer, who happens to be William Faulkner. Yes, the William Faulkner. And so, so they, they call him and say, well, who did it? And he says, well, I don't know. So they ended up calling uh, Raymond Chandler, you know, who wrote the story. And he said, you know, basically said, well, hell if I know. Um, so, you know, sometimes, it, right, you know, like you said, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and maybe, you know, it, it's it, what all, it's all the other things going on in the story, which is kind of what we're more interested in. In this case, you know, it didn't matter who killed the chauffeur. So, you know, some, I think you're right. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter if you can't figure it out or... No, I, I agree. Know. It's it's more the the journey getting. It there. made sense though when you get there. I think that maybe that's the other key. At least, or this has to happen is when you get to the end and find out it has to, you know, fit in. It has to make sense, and this ending did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, writing writing a mystery is something I've always been very intimidated about because I feel like you have to provide the clues and you can't give it away, and it has to make logical you sense to when you tease. get to the end. Yeah. 
Some people just aren't good at being a tease. I'm, not, I'm, very, I'm very in your face about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's how I roll. Um, so you, we, we each had favorite lines here, too. Do you want to... Oh, can I pull mine out? No, goddammit! Alright, this is my favorite line. When uh, It's in the scene when Stretch is detailing the whole, you know, mystery, how it all went down, whatever. He says, I know about it, I say with dignity, for two reasons. First, I'm a detective. Second, I'm not a sap. But while Madeline Mink has been staring at 2 plus 2 for longer than some of you kiddies have been alive, she steadfastly refused to consider the possibility of 4. Love does that to some people. Yep, yep. That's a very nice hard-boiled detective line. And that was, there's also a hard-boiled detective line that was my favorite, too. Um, and, and exactly because I could picture Humphrey Bogart angrily shouting it in the Maltese Falcon. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Where, where the line says, you know, referring to Morty, said, He had everything. Stretch breaks in with, maybe everything wasn't enough. <laughs> And it's such a great, you know, couldn't you see Humphrey Bogart there, like, hate everything? Maybe yeah. everything wasn't That's enough. One thing Damn. I noticed about this writing, and I say that, I want to, like, preface this by saying it's uh-huh. done well in here because uh-huh. of the style it's managed uh-huh. in, but uh, a lot of times a trap that people fall into is when they're writing, they narrate it as if it's a scene on TV, mm-hmm. and they build the drama as if they're manipulating the characters physically, uh-huh. which oftentimes it falls flat, but it it's, works perfectly in here, yeah. so I'm kind of impressed. Yeah, and I think it's because... Because it's aping that film noir style. Right, the lexicon, at least, of film noir is something we're all familiar with. If we haven't seen the movies, we've seen parodies of them. Yeah. You know, we've seen comics, we've seen cartoons, you know, I mean, we've seen episodes of, you know, Star Trek, The Next Generation, we've seen, you know... You have a sense of the visual language. Roger Rabbit, exactly. We have, we know these things. So you know there's something being uh, aped or or drawn from here. It's not like you're just watching TV while you want to be reading. Right, right. So actually, so to all the aspiring writers out there, read this story and then don't write like it. <laughs> yep. Unless you're writing something exactly like it. Yep, yep. There you go. So, But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a great choice. I thought Buck. And uh, yeah, and a great so reading too by Buck Turner. And, yeah, great reading. We're going to have to get him to read more stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, we're doing something a little different in two weeks. Or, or not not two weeks. Well, I mean, two weeks we'll be talking. And next week we're doing something a little different. Uh, we have a story coming to us from Ronnie, but uh, we're doing it a little differently where Alex will be narrating, but the characters will be being voiced by other people. Yes, so, myself you know, Alex will be going, he walked into a room and said, and to him says, who's voicing one of the characters will be like, I'm taking off my pants. Yep. And so Alex said, everybody. and then he took his pants off. You know, that kind of deal. Yep. So we're trying something a little different for next week. I don't think it'll be a regular like thing, but it's it something out. we wanted to do. Well, um, Ronnie asked me to do this, I think, like mm-hmm. two or three weeks ago. And I thought at the time that he was doing this of his own volition. But then it turned out that you guys had been conspiring behind my backs. Right, right. To put this on the show. The best place to conspire behind you. Nah. <laughs> That's so mean. Why would you say that on the air? It's so rude. Know, oh, my goodness. I'm offended. Ah, ah. We're gonna have to edit that one out. Yeah, it's but no, we're, I'm, I'm looking forward to you know breaking out my high school drama class, and you know performing. Acting. A bit. I acting. am acting. I'm performing dialogue. I don't know. It's like, what is my motivation <laughs> in this scene? Like you're a high school kid, and it's like, no, my homies 
what is up? <laughs> That'll be you. It'll one be the, great. One of the new Stay guys at really, work. It'll be good. One of the new guys at work calls me homie and plier and dog in perfect I'm sincerity. You, I'm call you like G-Pong. he's not joking. Yeah, yeah. He thinks plier is what you call somebody. Yeah. What do I'll, I do? I'll call you T Dog if you want. No. I mean, I call me, call me, pretty, call me, D, call me D-cat, right? D-cat, D-cat, D-cat for driving cat. D-cat is pretty, that's a baller name. D-cat, what up D-cat? Buck Hopper. That, I think I found my tag. That's Buck my Hopper, tag. we know you listen, we just found Toons' baller name. When D-cat. you start seeing D-cat along the red line in D.C., that's me. Yeah, alright. Me and Bucktooth, it was a white dude. Yep. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I shouldn't make references to obscure... Graffiti along a metro system nobody uses. No, I think that ends. That... <laughs> no, that's good because we're we're decommodifying the the you know the city. They already painted it over. Yeah, I was so, so pissed. It's you know because when they paint it over, they just replace it with stuff that's not that doesn't have near as much thought put into it. It's like going to a concert and they replace the word of the you know the city in their song with the city they're playing in right yeah, now. Like, people can be like, oh my god, he said Washington D.C. Texas. <laughs> I just live here. That's all. I can't be talking about Amish country. I lived there too. It was in a valley. There was farmland. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you all about the AC. Yeah. The AC. (laughs) That's your series. (laughs) Okay. With that, before we get too carried away here, we haven't talked about the actual story for five minutes at least now, so it's probably a good time to stop. Um, We will will be back uh, next week of the readings, partially starring Toonses here. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll be back in two weeks with our discussion. Next week, I will not be, you know, I will, I will not be around. I will be up in scenic New Jersey uh, um, at FAU. And I hope to see you folks there. Drop by the Rabbit Valley table. Say hi to me. And uh, I think that's about it. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Ciao.